In the name of God, creator, redeemer, and giver of life, amen. Good morning. So, um, in the house where I grew up, there was a room we called the music room. Other than the kitchen, it was the busiest room in the house. A day rarely went by when we did not hear my mother furiously running through her scales or gliding through a Chopin etude. And she had all five of us kids practicing every day, if not the piano, then the cello or the flute or classical guitar. So that there was always someone in the music room making some kind of attempt at music. The piano in the music room was a reliable old workhorse, a chickering baby grand that my mother's parents purchased for her in the 1930s. In its prime, it was a rare prize of a piano with a burled walnut veneer that glowed, this rich golden brown luster, shining gold accents, and this intricate swirling grain that ran throughout its length and width. But by the time we kids were done with it, the 50-year-old uh, piano had lost some of its glory. The finish had become dull and worn. There were chips in the veneer. A few hammers were missing their mark. And then my mother's multiple sclerosis got worse. Her once crashing chords gradually grew softer. Her scales came more softly and slowly. And then finally the piano fell into silence. While my mom went from a cane to two canes, to a walker, to a wheelchair, to a bed. The grand old instrument stood quietly in the corner of the room, only occasionally giving voice to a grandchild's rather painful rendition of chopsticks. About five years after my mom stopped playing, my parents decided to have the piano restored to its original beauty. And so a piano restoration expert was called and they hauled away the piano to his workshop where he worked on it for several months. I was living in Boston during this time and it was during that time when the piano was in the shop that I had a dream. The restoration was complete. The piano was back, fully restored. In my dream, I saw the piano standing in the music room in the old house by the picture window, gleaming in the golden light. As soon as I woke up, I called my mom and I told her about the dream and she startled me by saying she had had the same dream. And then she said, and I keep thinking that when it comes back fully restored, I'll be restored too. And I'll be able to play that piano the way I used to. Together we savored that image of healing. My mom sitting upright once again in the sun, crashing through her scales, the piano gleaming golden in the light. You know, they say that dreams are not very logical, but that morning it seemed perfectly logical. It made perfect sense to us that when the piano came back restored, my mom would be restored as well. You know, 
when we're desperate, when our lives are at stake and our backs are up against the wall, we'll make any kind of deal. We're looking for any angle. If I fix the piano, somehow that'll fix me. There's a logic of the heart at work there. It's a logic of dreams and prayers. Well, in our Hebrew Bible reading for today, we find another story about healing and about making deals. There's this Aramean general named Naaman, great warrior, proud leader of armies, who also happens to have leprosy. He hears through an Israeli servant that there's this prophet in Israel who could cure him. Elisha is his name. So the general sets off to the land of Israel with his army and their chariots and with everything he thinks he needs to make the deal for his healing. He's got, and it's strange, it's edited out of our reading this morning, but he's carrying with him 10 talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, ten sets of garments, and even a letter of recommendation from his king. (laughs) He parks his retinue outside the house of Elisha, sends his impressive envoy to the door with the announcement that he has arrived for his healing and he's prepared to pay big money for it. But when Elisha hears that Naaman has arrived, he doesn't even get out of his chair. He says to his servant, go tell him to wash in the Jordan River seven times and he'll be healed. Simple as that. Naaman is outraged. I came all this way with my army and my silver and my gold and my fancy clothes and my letter of recommendation and all you do is send your servant out here to tell me to wash in this crummy river? Are you kidding me? I'm a big man. I've got a big problem. I need a big miracle. And I'm ready to pay big bucks for it. But Elisha knew that that's not how healing works. You know? Elisha knew that whatever healing was in store for him would only come after he had put away his money and his attachments and his power and his sense of control. Elisha knew that Naaman would only find healing after he stopped being the general of a big and powerful army, only after he stripped off his expensive clothes and stepped into that river naked as the only thing that he ever really was, an ordinary child of God. You know, Buddhists, they talk about something called ordinary mind. Ordinary mind. Who are we apart from our possessions? Who are we apart from our attachments, our desires, our addictions, our responsibilities, our status, our power, our gender? Who are we apart from our opinions? Who are we apart from what other people think of us? Putting that insight into Judeo-Christian terms, who are we in the presence of God? One glance at Naaman with his impressive retinue and his armor and money and displays of power, Elisha knew that here was a man who could not possibly answer those questions. Here was a man so desperately attached to a manufactured, socially constructed identity that he would never let himself stand naked before God. He would never let himself feel that vulnerable, 
that open, that defenseless, without a little bit of prompting from a humble Jewish prophet. So Elisha offers him the best kind of therapy, refusing even to meet with him while he was wrapped in his armor and fancy clothes. He sends his servant out to deliver his prescription, bathe in the river seven times, get naked before God seven times, become acquainted with your birthday suit seven times. Often enough, often enough for it to seem normal. Often enough, it seems, for it to become ordinary. Make friends with your ordinariness, in other words. Give up your fantasy of who you think you are, of what other people think of you. Give up thinking you're better than anyone else. In other words, Elisha says, get real. This is the only currency that God accepts, the currency of reality. In the case of healing, it's an authentic human being stripped of its self-aggrandizing delusions. For most of us, we don't reach that point, you know, until our hearts have been broken open. That's when the healing begins. And it might not be a physical healing, although miracles do happen. I know because I've seen them with my own eyes. But more often it will be a healing of the soul. You know, when I visit you in the hospital, you're not like Naaman wearing impressive clothes and shining armor, right? You're wearing a thin hospital gown, most likely. Your hair is a mess. You have no impressive letters of recommendation. And you don't care, and I don't care, because we are meeting on the ground of reality itself. We have found one another in our ordinary minds. You know, as you know, every Sunday morning, we have people in the chapel who are there to pray with you after you receive communion. It's a beautiful thing what happens in there. Because, you know, for all of our gorgeous music and our ornate liturgy and our fancy words, in the end, it always comes down to this one moment when we stand in the presence of the Holy One without armor, without defense, purely open to the Spirit of God. And there we give words to our deepest longings and our deepest troubles. And when we meet there, We're not seeing your perfectly styled hair or that really quite lovely scarf that you're wearing this morning. We see you like that restored piano shimmering in the light. We see your face lifted to the sun. We see your eyes brimming with the Spirit of God. We see you fully alive and fully healed. We're there now actually, shining in God's light. We have arrived at the River Jordan. We have removed our armor. There is nothing left between us and God. So listen carefully now. You might just make out the chords of a love song sounding as if from a great distance on a very old 
and fully restored piano. Amen.